welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. And in today's episode, I invited my friend, Dr. Krupa Playforth, on to the podcast to talk about how we can keep our daycare kiddos healthy. Can you relate? If you're tuning in, I'm assuming you can, if you've got daycare kids and or if you're sending your kids to preschool, to school, and they're just coming home with all sorts of fun surprises, <laughs> runny noses, sore throats, tummy aches, all the germs, all the things. And so in this episode, Dr. Playforth is going to help us figure out ways that we can best support the health and immunity of our daycare kiddos. She is a board-certified pediatrician, and after becoming a mother herself, she realized that one of the biggest challenges of motherhood is not finding information, but finding trustworthy information. And with that in mind, she created The Pediatrician Mom. This is a judgment-free zone that is also a reliable evidence-based resource with practical information for parents. Because real parenting takes nuance. And in today's internet-dependent world, it is easy to become overwhelmed. So you can use the pediatrician mom to find some peace, some answers, and hopefully some confidence to trust your parenting style as you embark on this journey of parenthood. I'm so excited to introduce you to Dr. Playforth. So let's dive in. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Dr. Krupa, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I am so thrilled to connect with you in real time and chat about our topic today. It is something that is constantly on my mind, and I put a poll out, and a lot of parents replied and shared that this topic in particular was one that they were really hoping to get some support around. But before we dive into that, I would love to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the Holding Space podcast listeners so they can connect with you today and spend the next 45 minutes with us knowing who they're learning from. So could you, um, could you introduce yourself to the listener? Absolutely. I am so honored to be here. Um, so uh, my name is Dr. Krupa. I go by the pediatrician mom on social media and online. Um, and I am a pediatrician and a mom of three kids aged six, four and eight months. Um, so I'm right there in the trenches, I think, with a lot of your listeners. Um, and I started the pediatrician mom because for two reasons. At the start of the pandemic, it seemed like a lot of 
parents were looking for answers to questions about health and about their children, but were nervous to go to the pediatrician and were turning to the internet. Um, and there's just sort of been a general movement to turn towards the internet for um, finding health information. And that's good. It's great that the, we have the availability of a resource like that, but there's also a lot of misinformation. So I wanted to create an evidence-based, reliable resource that parents could turn to for answering you know, common health questions, but also one that was from the perspective of a mom who understands that, you know, parenting isn't black and white. There's nuance to it. There aren't like, you know, it, it, there's a lot of practical tips that I think pediatricians don't always give you. You know, for example, uh, if someone asked me today about um, how to get your child to take medication and, and, you know, th so I wanted to kind of bring in some of those experiences from my own um, uh, life as a mom um, yeah. and to, to share those. Mm, I love that. I love that you're bridging this gap um, and bridging the gap, one, you know, between physician and person who's seeking out like, you know, support from a physician by bringing it into the social media space um, because a lot of people are turning to the internet to find information and you wanted to make sure that the information that you were providing was also very clearly evidence-based and something that was really reliable. But I also see you bridging that gap between physician and mom, right? Mm -hmm. So you're a healthcare provider, you have so much information to offer from your years and years and years of school and also practice, but also you're in the trenches. And so, yeah, maybe a physician will support in making a decision around, let's say, what medication your child's going to be taking for X, Y, or Z. But you also understand that then you're putting that in the hands of a parent who now <laughs> needs to support their child in taking that medication. And so being <laughs> able to, you know, really bridge that gap, I just think is so valuable. And I have gotten so many requests in the past to talk about daycare, to talk mm -hmm. about the experience of sending your child to daycare the anxiety that can come with that or sometimes the guilt that can come with that. And this is something that is really a really important part of many families' lives, their relationship with daycare and with their child. That's a big part of their day-to-day their -day life with their child. And one thing that a lot of folks wanted to hear about was how do I keep my daycare kid healthy? I mean, not, you know, the, the pandemic has for sure brought, you know, just every surface that we touch and what we're bringing into our home and our exposure has brought so much more of that into our awareness as just human beings navigating life. Um, but then for, for a parent who's been sending their kid to daycare from very young or at whatever stage, mm -hmm. this is something that is you know, relevant to them, <laughs> pandemic or not, you know, mm -hmm. they're sending their child into an environment where there's just a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. And oh my gosh, I I remember the first day sending our oldest to preschool. And <laughs> okay, I sent her to preschool day one, day one preschool, right? All the feelings. Um, <laughs> she comes home that day, pick her up. And she's like, mom, my mouth has ouchies in it. And I look in her mouth and I'm like, is that a cold sore? 
I look at her oh, hand. No. Are those sores on your hands? <gasps> I look at her foot and I'm like, oh my gosh. I am that parent that is now emailing the school <laughs> day one. Um, I think my kids got hand, foot, mouth. And then, yes, took her to the doctor. She had hand, foot, mouth. And then, of course, day one, the school has to email all the other parents. <laughs> There's been exposure, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, that's just like day one example. Oh. But um, and that was what we brought into the classroom. So, what can we do here? Like, I want, I want to. We can't talk about the like logistics of what we can do in terms of like immunity without also talking about all the feelings that come with it. So we'll we'll, we'll get there, and we'll, we'll for the listener, we'll loop in all the feelings that can come, right? The anxiety, the guilt, all the things. But since I got you here, like realistically, what can we do to support the health and the (laughs) immunity of our daycare children or, you know, just children that are going out into the world and being exposed? So school too. I completely understand why parents are worried about this. I mean, obviously the pandemic has made us all just more primed to be anxious about our children being sick. So even normal illnesses, um, or I I mean, normal isn't maybe the right word, but routine illnesses um, send us spiraling. I mean, it actually happened to us last week where the four-year-old came home from preschool and he had a cold and, you know, I panicked because he had a cold, but also because of the exposure to the eight-month-old. And, you know, ordinarily I would and even have blinked at that. So mm-hmm. I say this partly to point out that even when you're a pediatrician, like I still have the same worries that a lot of parents yeah. do. Um, and, you know, kind of go through that panic of, okay, so now I need to go get a COVID test. And oh my gosh, what if, what if it is COVID? And what do I do about the baby? And how do I separate them? Which obviously is like, just not mm-hmm. that easy. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I hear this, but I, what I kind of wanted to start with was just talking a little bit about what is normal for a child mm. who is going to daycare because I hear yeah. this all the time parents will come to me and they'll say look something is not right something is wrong with my child because they are sick all the time and you know if you start daycare I mean any parent who's sent their child to, to daycare knows that that is exactly what it feels like um mm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that your child has some kind of immune deficiency. Um, what, what, is, what we expect as pediatricians is about six to eight respiratory infections, so colds, cough, things like that, a year, plus one to two tummy bugs, a few viral infections such as hand, foot, and mouth like your daughter had, or roseola or something along those lines. So it, I mean, it kind of ends up being like an illness a month essentially. Um, so, so, you know, and a lot of them last like, you know, 10 to 14 days. So it really just feels yeah. like you just get over something and then you have something new. Oh my gosh. That is, that is truly how it feels in our home. Like I've got three children, two older ones are at school. The youngest is, um, with family throughout the week while we're working. Um, and it just, I mean, I never really I had never heard those numbers before, but <laughs> now that you're kind of laying them out, mapping them out, like, oh, well, okay. So, whew, I mean, I think kind of just even knowing that, I mean, while there is a part of that that's like, like, oh, like a little bit heavy, mm-hmm. I think there's also an element of that that just like if I can go into this year sort of having that in the back of my mind. Um, it can kind of help me mentally prepare and have like sort of realistic expectations 
Um, and that, that does feel supportive, right? Just to even yes. kind of, yes. kind of know that information does help in those ways. Setting expectations about what, what that year will look like, um, is really helpful. It doesn't mean that you're not going to spiral when your child is sick, but hopefully it doesn't send you down the route of trying to find supplements to boost their immunity or, or, you know, mm-hmm. um, worrying about immune deficiencies and things like that. Although, I mean, with that said, there are rare children that do have immune deficiencies. And so I also wanted to kind of touch base on at what point do we get concerned about frequent daycare Mm. illnesses? Um, So some of the things that I would watch for as a pediatrician would be if there's a family history of autoimmune problems, Um, if you have a child that's failing to thrive in any other way, so they're not gaining weight, they're not meeting their milestones, um, they have other sort of chronic, um, underlying issues, you know, chronic diarrhea, uh, stuff like that. If they have frequent thrush, um, especially if the child is over a year of age, you know, young babies Mm -hmm. tend to get thrush, um, that they're just more prone to it. But, but if they're over a year, they shouldn't really be having recurrent thrush infections. Um, if they're having recurrent for, really quick for the listener um, can you just kind of quickly describe thrush because oh, before yes. I had um, my first I had no idea um, and now each of my children in that first year had thrush at some point so now I feel like <laughs> a pro um, at detecting it <laughs> but um, for the listener can you just quickly describe thrush because I didn't know what it was before um, becoming a parent I, I hadn't heard yeah. that term Yes, absolutely. So um, thrush is a fungal infection um, that uh, babies will get in their mouth. Um, So it looks like Mm -hmm. little white patches often on the cheeks or inside the lips or on the hard palate. Um, And babies who are, um, you know, relatively, you know, their immune systems aren't quite the same as like an older person. Um, they're maybe a little more prone to it. Uh, Sometimes um, moms who are nursing will end up getting, um, fungal infections of the nipple too. And then you can kind of end up giving it back and forth. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was us. That was us. And it's It's just like, it's awful. But yes, it's okay. Thank you for just kind of like naming that. And and that can be something that can show up past a year. And you're saying that if it does past a year and that keeps happening, that there Mm -hmm. might be something, um, definitely is something to to bring to your um, pediatrician's awareness. And they should be, I mean, thrush needs an antifungal to tr- be treated. So, um, you, you know, your pediatrician probably would be aware anyway. But if, you're, if it's yeah. happening frequently, then um, that, that's just a conversation that's worth having. Okay. Okay. All right. So I interrupted you. You, you mentioned thrush, then, then there were others. There were others. Um, just abscesses or recurrent bacterial infections. You know, if you're having recurrent pneumonia, um, recurrent ear infections, things like that, then it's, it doesn't necessarily mean your child has an underlying serious issue, but it just means that that's worth the conversation with your pediatrician. Yeah. Okay. I think this is super helpful just to kind of, for the listener to kind of have a expectations, right? Of like, Mm -hmm. what is realistic, but then also some indicators of what you want to be paying attention to in terms of when there might be something more um, to take a closer look at underlying. Okay. That's helpful. Thank you for kind of naming (laughs) me. Um, And then, okay. So they're going to get sick, but Mm -hmm. is there anything, I know for myself, when I have anxiety around something, that part of me that's really anxious wants to look to figure out what I can control. And there's 
at times when that is actually really useful, right? Um, because that part of me is trying to keep me and my loved ones safe and finding what I have agency around can be really supportive mm-hmm. for sure. Can sometimes overstep and um, kind of spiral into a place of like trying to control things that I actually can't control or controlling things in a way where I'm not actually getting support from others. So that's a thing too. But mm-hmm. it is helpful to be able to identify what we do have agency around and how we can at least create the best scenario for our children's health and their immune systems. And so what what can we do here? I actually think that that is why a lot of people turn to things like immune supplements, right? Because that is something that you can do that's active and intentional. Um, and that's why so many parents are, are kind of targets of, of the supplement industry, even when there isn't necessarily basis for um, some of those supplements, just because, you know, we're all trying to do the best for our children. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that like I take a vitamin C, like mm-hmm. little extra thing every day. And it just, when I don't have, when I don't take it, I literally start to feel like, I don't know, like I start to feel like my, my body's like, doesn't have its little defenses inside, you know? Mm-hmm. And it almost like I I have to have that vitamin C that I take every day. Um, and so, I mean, is that actually helping me or is it not? I'm so, because I mean, it's, you know, it's just something that I've like, it's become part of my routine, but I also kind of rely on it. You know, it probably depends a little bit on kind of what your diet is like, right? Yeah. So most of yeah. us should be able to get sufficient vitamin C from our diets, Um children who are excessively picky, maybe not, but even that's not that common. Mm. Um, But I'm not sure, you know, at least as a parent of a toddler, um, I wouldn't say that control is something I have over his diet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so the things that you can do as a parent, uh, wash hands. We've been harping on about this for two years. Mm. And thankfully, more and more people are aware about the importance of washing hands. But washing hands with soap and water for 20 seconds, teaching your toddlers to do that, that Mm. takes you a long way um, uh, in terms of controlling infection. It's not going to be perfect because kids are at school and they're touching all the things and drooling and, and fingers are in noses and all that. But but at least when they get home, wash hands. Yeah. Yeah. So like right when they get home, um, right. you're, mm-hmm. you, you're taking your kiddos over to the sink. And mm-hmm. do you have any recommendations? Because 20 seconds is a long time is. for, I mean, it's a long time for me. I mean, I, it really wasn't until the pandemic hit and I became so much more aware of like what I was touching um, and all of that. But I like, I was not washing my hands for 20 seconds for the first 30 so years of my life, I think. You know, so do you have any recommendations of how we can encourage that hand washing once we get home and in our home? I think that the best way to do it is to make it a little bit fun and a little bit goofy. Um, so singing a song. I mean, right now we are doing the Encanto songs, which I'm sure may be true of a lot of your viewers. But, you know, just like singing a, a verse of that. Um, some people will do the happy birthday song twice through um, the alphabet song. I mean, it's a good way to get your kid to practice the alphabet, too. Um, but, you know, doing something where you're not relying on like a, a timer or anything like that, that's not portable. This, you know, you can sing a song anywhere. 
but that that's a good way to do it. And it also gets them to kind of pay attention to what's happening too. Yeah. I'll also say that um, because I think schools with the pandemic, I mean, you know, some of the positives that have come from this experience mm-hmm. is that I think the the schools and the classrooms and the teachers are so much more aware of these things. There's been tons of like, you know, t- probably training for them of how yep. to keep themselves and the classroom safe. And so, you know, my my kids come home and they're brushing, they're, they're washing their hands longer than I am sometimes. <laughs> or like I watch them and they're, they're, they're like, they're, you know, people can't see but you and I can see each other I'm washing like the top of my hands like between mm-hmm. their fingers yes. and I mean it's like become such a like they're obviously learning about these things at school too so I think that that's you know one of the benefits of all of this is everybody's become so much more aware so okay washing hands creating these rituals um really making it fun um mm-hmm. but making this a big priority in the home right when they get home. Um, what do you think about, I don't know, people like there's like like hand sanitizers like in the car. Mm-hmm. Like are you squirting hand sanitizer on your kids' hands like as soon as they get in the car? Like I'm curious to hear your thoughts thoughts on that. So I don't. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my kids are a little bit older and so I feel somewhat comfortable that they're not going to be putting their – fingers in their mouths. Um, I, my four-year-old does pick his nose a lot, but I'm not sure that hand sanitizer <laughs> would prevent him from doing that anyway. Um, so uh, no, I don't tend to do that. But what we do when we get home, and this is something that we've done through, you know, post-pandemic, uh, we change clothes and we take off our shoes um, and then we wash hands. Um, for my daughter, who's a little bit older, um, she can go upstairs and um, I get her to wash her face as well because she usually has sunscreen mm-hmm. on her face and it's a little grimy and stuff. So just kind of like reset. Um, some people will choose to do a bath when they get home. That's that's hard to do um, when you have mm-hmm. multiple children and other stuff happening. But we try mm-hmm. to do a, a bath um, uh, at the end of the day. We were not people that bathed our children daily at all. Um, but uh, the pandemic has changed that for us. I mean, I wouldn't say we do that on the weekends, though. It's mostly a weekday yeah. activity unless we're filthy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Okay. This is really helpful. What else? What are some other things that the parents can be taking into consideration or integrating to give them some agency around this? So uh, for um, children who have health issues, Mm -hmm. uh, like chronic illnesses like asthma, this time of year allergies, things like that, you want to make sure that those are under control. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, making sure that they're taking whatever preventive medications they need to making sure that you're checking in with your specialists or at least your pediatrician, if, if your child has an underlying issue and then staying up to date on other preventive care measures too, for example, getting all your shots up to date, the flu shot, things like that. Um, you want to make sure that you are on top of all those things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned you had mentioned diet earlier, mm-hmm. um, and like you also mentioned, you know, not necessarily having a ton of control. <laughs> like I, I had another episode um, recently where we talked about picky eating, and I learned in that conversation that it's actually really developmentally appropriate for mm-hmm. a child, most children, to develop picky eating. And she even made some connections to, like, from an evolutionary perspective you know, it's understandable that actually some, that children would become more picky around like certain like 
like berries and certain textures and certain mm-hmm. smells because from an evolutionary perspective back in the day like having some not wanting to eat certain berries or certain things certain textures and smells actually was safe was was a safety thing <laughs> that kind of mm-hmm. came up you know so it's going to happen mm-hmm. um but you mentioned that you know diet can be really important and so from a pediatrician perspective, like any 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 tips or thoughts you have around supporting our children from like a an immunity perspective, like through through diet and through how we're kind of navigating meal times and all of that at home with our kids. Uh, so absolutely agree that uh, picky eating, especially after about a year, 12, 15 months yeah. of age until, I mean, honestly, for a lot of kids, five or six years is very, very normal. It's often a source of a lot of stress for us as parents. Um, and, you know, I know this and I still, this is still a battle in our house because that's <laughs> just sort of the way life is. Um, but I think that uh, it, it's really important to remember that, um Fruits will give you a lot of um, nutrients as well as vegetables. And if your child is absolutely refusing vegetables, but they they tend to be good at eating fruits or they tend to be more open to eating fruits, you know, keep the fruits in the diet. Um, the, this idea of food as medicine is kind of an Ayurvedic concept. Um, you know, nutrition is important in health, um, and having that kind of colorful, balanced diet is ideal. Now, kids, you know, I would say. I can tell you to limit ultra processed food, but that doesn't always work. Um, And I I would say control it where you can keep offering Mm. the healthy options, but just keep in mind that that good nutrition is one piece of of immunity is a complex Mm. puzzle. And that's just one piece of it. Um, The nutrients that you would want to focus on are going to be vitamins A, C, D, and zinc. Those are probably the ones that have some basis behind them in terms of immune um, optimization rather than immune boosting. Anyone who gives you like a quick fix or suggests a quick fix or a pill or anything like that, Mm -hmm. I would just be a little bit skeptical of that. You'd be a little wary, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you said said A, C, D, zinc. And zinc, yeah. Just do you have some examples of – you know, this being just one part of the big, bigger immunity picture. Do you have some examples of of foods that kind of have some of those vitamins in them? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, your your colorful fruits and vegetables are going to be a great, great source of some of these things. Um, vitamin D, actually, you know, it's kind of interesting to talk about vitamin D because it comes up a lot um, uh, in the first year of life anyway. We are, we are supposed to be supplementing our babies with vitamin D, um, even when they are getting some formula, uh, just because we know that that has an important role in multiple different um, facets of of development and physiology. I would say, um, you know, focusing on uh, vitamin, so D-rich foods are going to be your dairy foods. So so a lot of um, uh, cheese, milk, yogurt, these things tend to be fortified with dairy. Uh, sorry, fortified with vitamin D, um, and then they have a good amount of calcium as well. And dairy, you know, you don't need dairy for to be mm. healthy, but dairy often is an easy way to get some of the calcium and the vitamin D and, and you know, fat and protein into your children, just because most toddlers are a little more open to dairy than they are to other things. 
Yes, you know, I would say that my my toddler loves herself some some nice some cheese. She loves cheese. She loves yogurt, and um, and I know and I know that not everybody um, is dairy an option. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. yes, it is one of those for for us in our family that it's been a solid option for that um, for her. Um, other foods that uh, tend to be quite rich in some of these vitamins, so eggs. Um, again, not an option for everybody, but you know where they are an option that's helpful. Your leafy green vegetables. I like to try to do this in the form of green smoothies, so I can put some fruit in there. Mm-hmm. And my ta- mm-hmm. my kids are going to be a little more open to that than if I give them a salad. Unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. tomatoes, um, red bell peppers. Bell peppers are great because a lot of kids are pretty open to them, um, yeah. and red bell peppers actually have more more um, C in them than citrus. Which really, is, I didn't yeah, know it's that. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And what is it about bell peppers? Because I mean, sure, sure. Like not like I have three kids. One of them like despises bell peppers, but the other two like love bell peppers. And like I'm actually not a huge bell pepper fan. Like to oh, me, really? it's like <laughs> eh, like what I don't know. It's just but there's something about bell peppers. But I see a lot of kids chomping down on them. So I don't know. I guess there's a little bit of a sweetness to it. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it's the red yeah. that they tend to like, but also they're a little crunchy. Yeah. You know, they don't they're have that crunchy. sort of squishy texture that some sensory yeah. kids like to avoid. Yeah. Um, and then you can dip them in things, which in my yeah. house works really, really well. They really like dips. Yes. If it's if it's dippable, it's going to be edible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, and I and I think when it comes around the topic of dips, like there there are days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what did we eat today that had any nutritional value? And then I think, you know what, there was a lot of ketchup consumed, and like, you know, ketchup's got nutrients in it, you know, yeah, yeah, it's got stuff in it, and like they and 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 what did they dip in that? Okay, maybe there was some protein in there, and you know, so I don't know. I just I just want to I want the listener to. To hear that, to not stress this too much, you know, because you were talking about how immunity is, if you're looking at a big picture thing, I think stress has a big part of it too, Mm -hmm. right? It sure does. It sure does. Um, I guess, uh, so vitamin A, I mean, a lot of kids will be open to carrots too. They're dippable um, and and delicious and a little bit sweet. And so um, that's another option Um, when I can get myself together, which isn't that often now with three kids, but when I can, (laughs) um, I try to prep some of those vegetables on the weekend and then just have them like easily accessible. And so then right after school, when everybody's craving a snack, those are right there with some dip. Um, again, doesn't happen that often, but, but when it does, it's great. Yes, totally. Okay. All right. So nutrition is a piece of this. Um, I mentioned Mm -hmm. stress here. Is there anything that you would I don't know that you discuss with your patients when it comes to the the role that stress has when it comes to immunity. You know, it's interesting. Um, sleep and stress are the two things that I think not very many people think about when they think about you know optimizing immunity. But both are actually so important. Um, uh, did I when I was um, doing research for a post at some point, I kind of got really deep into the data about, um, you know, what, what kinds of things um, have been shown to optimize immunity. And having 
increased cortisol um, actually does interfere with your immune function. Um, and on the flip side, you know, anything that releases endorphins, decreases cortisol is going to actually improve your immune function. Um, so there's evidence that, um, so there's that even laughter can increase, for example, the IgA, the immunoglobulin A in like your mucosa. So it can kind of help you fight some respiratory illnesses. Um, so yeah, yeah, having fun, laughing, jokes, uh, yeah. all of that actually is really important. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, I... I know for myself, like after every Friday now, I share um, a collection of TikToks on them. Instagram. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like become my favorite part of Instagram these days. Um, I was I was like saving them anyway because I share them with my husband every Friday night. It's like part of our like connection ritual because shared laughter is our, our mm-hmm. one of our love languages. And after a good laugh, like – you know, there's maybe like a couple of minutes there of just like things that are funny that make you smile, make you laugh. Like I feel good. Like it feels good in my body um, and it's connecting. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. This isn't something that necessarily people think about, right? When I think about immunity, like it's interesting that you brought this up. Like the first thing I think about truly is like supplements. And I think Mm -hmm. that just really speaks to like the marketing that's out there. Um, (laughs) You know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's laughter, it's presence, connection, um, it's being silly cuddle, with each other. Right? Yeah, cuddling, being, being silly with each other. I mean, kids, kids love it when you're silly with them. Um, yeah. And even if you do that for you know, five to ten minutes a day, that that's huge. And it and it does improve connection, which in turn then also you know, decreases stress. Yes, yes. And for us as the parents, to be able to create that sort of tone in our home, right, and to have the capacity for this, mm-hmm. we got to take care of ourselves too, right? So Absolutely. would you say that um, that there's maybe a correlation? I don't know if there's data. I imagine there might be, but a correlation between a parent's um, – you know, taking care of themselves, um, parents' health, and not just like physical health, but mental health and well-being um, in some way, shape, or form, also supporting them to support the their their own child's health and, and immunity. Do you see a connection there? 100%. There's absolutely a connection there. If you are struggling and stressed out, I mean, we know that even young infants can pick up on that from their parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And older children, I mean, they're far more perceptive than we often give them credit for. They're listening, they're paying attention, especially right now with everything that's going on. I mean, they, they're aware of what's happening. And, and so they're watching not just how we are engaging with them and how we are handling stress but you know we're modeling for them how they need to do it for the rest of their lives as well so not only is this impacting their general health but it's also impacting the future and their their health in the future mm-hmm. their mental well-being in the future so there's a lot of reasons that parents we we have a culture of almost uh, self-sacrifice as is mm-hmm. like a, a marker of like being a good parent and that's that that rhetoric has to change and I think the culture is shifting now but um, taking care of ourselves uh, is so critically important to the health of our children yeah I mean when you think about you know 
I think there was definitely this sort of this idea of the good mother and mm-hmm. there was a lot of self-sacrifice, selfless, but like if you sacrifice – if you look at those words, if you sacrifice self, if you if there's less of you, right, mm-hmm. um, then, then yeah, at some point, like something's got to give. Like if uh-huh. you don't have if, – if there's nothing that's filled up within you, then – what are you pouring from, right, um, into your 100%. family and into your home? And and so I think that this kind of connects in with some of the maybe anxiety or guilt that um, a parent might feel when they're taking their child to, to daycare mm-hmm. um, or when they're going back to work, let's say. Um, and, and I'd love, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that, right? The, the sort of experience of anxiety or guilt that can come up around making those decisions, right? For, for ourselves and for our families. I think a lot of parents do feel guilt specifically around something like sending their kids to daycare and having to do that rather than staying home with them, especially when all over social media, you're seeing, uh, you know, these depictions that often are not truly accurate of of picture perfect homes, that uh, parents that are staying home and doing all sorts of arts and crafts with their kids. You kind of feel like I should be doing that rather than working. But there are a lot of benefits to daycare as well. And the data really does support that. Kids who go to daycare, uh, you know, they're developing social skills, they're being mentally stimulated. Um, Yes, they're getting sick, but I think, and kind of tying this back to the entire topic that we're talking about, right? Like, uh, I think that there may be a temptation for parents to say, okay, well, I don't want to send my kid to daycare. I wish I did not have to because then they're going to get sick. Those kids that don't go to daycare, are going to get those same illnesses when they go to preschool or kindergarten, like when they go to actual school. So, so it's not that they're escaping that exposure. Um, so I, I kind of like to take that a little bit off the table um, and to focus instead on the benefits. Um, learning, you know, the, the routine, the consistency, learning mm. to take turns, to share. I mean, there's a lot of benefits that being around other children can provide. Now, do you absolutely need that? No, there's been no research that shows that children who do not go to daycare are deficient or struggle excessively once they actually start school. There may be kind of more of a transition period there, depending on the personality mm-hmm. of your kid. But, mm-hmm. but you know, kids will still do well in either situation. But I, I really, it's unfortunate that so many parents do feel so much guilt around around sending their kids to daycare. I mean, I I work with so many families um, and so many parents um, where that that those feelings of guilt and then the fears are there. But I also want to share this: the the beauty of my work is then I get to see them through, and then on the other side. And just this week, I've had two conversations with two clients who were in that transition back to work um, from their maternity leave, and their children were in various. Um, uh, childcare situations, one daycare, um, and one like a, a nanny share situation, and they are reporting back to me how, yes, they miss their child, and mm-hmm. yes, the transition was hard, but they feel this connection back to their life previous to having that child, mm-hmm. and that connection to that life, those adult conversations. Um, the 
you know, picking up their child and seeing like, yes, their child maybe melts down as soon as they see them. But the feedback <laughs> from the the care person is like, they had a really great day. And like, you know, like you're just, you're just that safe person for them to let out any of the feelings with, right? So it's mm-hmm. going to land on you. And that's so, so normal. Um, but I, I hear from clients and I have myself experienced that I'm actually a better, more present mom um, with more capacity for the time I do spend with my children to have that time be quality time um, mm-hmm. when I actually spend less time physically with them, right? So it's not it's not quantity, like it's quality. Like is the time yep. that I'm spending with them do I feel refueled? Like, yes, I, after a day of work, I'm tired. But like, mm-hmm. there's a different level of exhaustion that I have at the end of the day when I've spent all day with my children, yeah. you know? And, <laughs> and those, I, I, I make sure to have those days too because those days are important. I'm exhausted, but like, yep. you know, there's also so much meaning in those days. But when I have time during the day where now this is my time I'm no longer at work. I'm with my child. The, the The boundaries become that much more clear because this is the time that I have and I want it to be quality. Um, and so for me, this is not the case for everyone, but for me, being a working mom, I actually, for, for me, makes me a better mom. Um, and having that time away from my children, um, the time that I do spend with them feels feels I feel that much more present. Um, not perfectly. Oh, pfft. Heck no. <laughs> it, gets, it gets super messy too. And then, you know, that's just being imperfect because perfection was never, never the goal to begin with. Um, but I I also really value modeling to my children. Exactly. Um, that they can have interests outside of motherhood and parenthood too mm-hmm. one day. And that doesn't take away from my love for them and our connection and attachment to each other. Um, and so all taking all those into consideration, when my anxiety and guilt pop up, I can meet those parts of myself with tenderness and compassion. It's understandable, right? Like anxiety shows up because it's trying to keep me and my loved ones safe. And, you know, I'm worried about them getting sick. Um, that's understandable. Um you know, so I can turn to anxiety and say, hey, that makes sense. But the data, that the, the numbers you gave me actually, and the information you've shared today, I think really does help kind of meet that anxiety with some <laughs> other data to offer, mm-hmm. right? Because um, sometimes anxiety doesn't take all that into consideration. It just kind of shows us the potential threat. And then with my guilt, you know, we're all wired for guilt as humans. And guilt is really there to pop up and say, hey, this is something that you really value and like you may have done something wrong here. And we can take that, right? Our brain is going to have all sorts of thoughts. We can take that guilt thought and we can ask ourselves, okay, what is the value that guilt is saying that I'm out of alignment with here? And maybe it's presence, right? But if I really take a moment to pause and zoom out, I actually for myself find that when I feed this other part of my soul and identity, mm-hmm. that when I am with my children, I have the capacity now to be more present during mm-hmm. the time that I do spend with them. So thank you, guilt, for letting me know that this is something that I value. But actually taking this step is something that is, you know, maybe connected to other values of mine, like security, stability, mm-hmm. um, other other values, right? Um, 
personal development, growth, um, whatever, whatever it is that is part of that decision to take my child to daycare. These are other things that I value, and, and I also value, and you're right, I do value this, but how I'm going to define it, how I'm going to get there is actually going to be, this, this decision is a part of that, right, um, for us to get there. When I have more stability and security, say financial security, I feel safer and that allows mm-hmm. me to be more present, right, and have that capacity. So there's just so many, so many different ways in which this can show up for each individual person in their unique situation. But when guilt pops up, I like to meet it and discover what is the value that guilt is saying I am not being in alignment with right now. And is actually when I zoom out, is there another way to kind of look at this, mm-hmm. right? Did yeah. guilt get it right? Because just because we feel something doesn't make it true. Yeah. Doesn't make it yes. automatically yes. correct. And so taking that pause to turn towards this part of ourself with tenderness and look at the data that that emotion is offering us about the situation to really see, is this is this really true for me right now? Is this really accurate? Or is there another way that I can be really understanding this? Yeah, that, that kind of shift in the perspective, I think, is really important. Um, and when I hear you describe it and talk about it, it actually is a good reminder to me as well um, that, you know, in a way you're setting boundaries around your own feelings and around your own activities. Um, and, and, you know, it's not that you're not allowing yourself to have mm-hmm. those. It's just that you're mm-hmm. kind of helping your brain understand a different way of looking at them and training your brain so that maybe in the future it's that that path to, to interpreting it that way is a little easier. Absolutely. And that's like what you just described is how we re- rewire our brain, right? Mm-hmm. Like people will say like, you really talk to yourself like that? Like, hey, hey, guilt. Hmm. I'm so curious. Like, what is it that I'm like, actually <laughs> I do. And I know it's super awkward. Um, and what happened, like, what, why, why awkwardness is a great indicators that awkwardness indicates that your brain's like, huh, this is a new way of relating to this part of myself. Hmm. And it's making a new little wiring, a new little connection there in your brain as you kind of talk to yourself in this new way and relate to your emotions in this new way and then respond to them in this new way. So it's great if people feel awkward about it. That's your brain actually rewiring. And the more and more that we do that, um, the easier it is then to take that path the next time. Because in moments of stress um, and dysregulation, our brain wants to take the path that's most familiar because that's just like mm-hmm. the quickest route, right? And your brain's just like, okay, what's the quickest route here? We got to keep ourselves safe here. Like, you know, um, anxiety spiral, like, you know, whatever the anxiety <laughs> urge is or the guilt urge is. Um, but if we begin to slow down and relate to these parts of ourselves in new ways over time, that becomes the more familiar path. And so that's that's how we rewire our brain. It's so cool. <laughs> Neuroplasticity. We can do that. It's amazing that we can still do that as adults. But you know what what occurs to me when you describe this um, way of, of practicing making that that neural connection, that's kind of the way that you, when your child is spiraling, I mean, if your mm. brain is used to kind of reinterpreting and providing perspective in that way, then at some point you're going to teach that to your child. You're going to help them process, you know, the same emotions, which everybody experiences. Um, and, and maybe you teach that to them at a much younger age, and that's so beneficial for them. Mm. 
And probably going to help their immune system, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. It all comes back. It all circles back. And yeah, you're so right. It's, it is so hard to take our children somewhere that we haven't been able to go ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like when I think about my – I have an anxious kid. Like when I think about how she relates to anxiety, I can't support her in getting to the place of relating to her anxiety in this, you know, healthy, compassionate, you know, way. Um if I can't, if I can't take myself there, right? Mm-hmm. So doing this work for myself, caring for myself in these ways, absolutely, is going to trickle down, um, and that's that's the hope. Okay, Dr. Krupa, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation with me today and share everything, all all that you shared with us today. So appreciated. Where can people find you if they would like to stay connected to you and are hoping to continue to learn from you? Um, I have had such a great time talking with you. Thank you for having me. Um, I am on Instagram at the pediatrician mom. You actually have to type it all in without spaces because for some reason it's not coming up as a, um, a search. Um, I think mm. because I posted about COVID probably too many times. Yeah, um, totally. Uh, <laughs> shadow banned. Shadow banned. Yeah. I'm sorry. But yeah, so the, the type it all the way out. Yeah, the pediatrician mom or at my website, thepediatricianmom.com. Um, and, you know, I write about stuff like this and then all sorts of other common parenting questions that seem to come up again and again. Awesome. I will share links to that in the show notes for the those listening that want to connect with you. Dr. Krupa, thank you again. It's been such a pleasure to talk to chat with you today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air. And go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.